Today is your homecoming celebration. So we celebrate being back in the building and we celebrate 35 years of being together as a church. So whether this is your, yeah, yeah. So whether this is your first year here or your 35th year here, you are part of something special. Several of you have said that your first time here felt like a homecoming. Finally, a religious community that by beliefs and is enriched by other people's beliefs. A community that believes in the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and doing that search in a place where you will be challenged by other perspectives. A place where you feel your worth and your dignity where you are accepted for who you are, a place that aspires to be on the leading edge of acceptance, a place where you can say what is in your heart and feel held with love. So coming here can feel like coming home. Part of our feeling at home is described by Wendell Berry in his poems about place. Home is a place where you can put down roots. Home is a place where you make a commitment, where you narrow your options and say, this is where I will invest my life. And this commitment opens up new possibilities, the possibility to go deeper with your chosen people. The Rolling Stone gathers no moss, and there is something to be said for gathering moss and growing roots. We look into each other's eyes and know each other's stories. We know each other's tendernesses. We know each other's hopes and dreams. And we weave life together. So part of our feeling at home is that we are in a place that is familiar, a place that we know. But we are a liberal religion. And part of our feeling at home is this, is that this spiritual home is not a closed space. We are open to the new. We need to be a home for explorers, ever pushing the envelope of what we know and understand. Reverend David Rankin says, all life is a paradox, a blended soup of changing ideas, a subtle alliance of opposing values. The world is a process, a mystery, an impossibility. Limited, limited in our perceptions and born into an infinitely evolving universe, we are creatures of sheer ambiguity who grow only through enduring the tension and exploring the boundaries of the unknown. So let us dance in the empty spaces be nimble and be quick, for we are on an odyssey that lasts forever. That was David Rankin's poem, Dancing in the Empty Spaces. As a liberal religion, we tend to dance in the empty spaces. We go where no one has gone before, or at least where none of us have gone before. If we are holding an incomplete map, we go where the map hasn't been filled in yet. Not always and not all the time because we do appreciate the familiar, 
but we have a tendency to explore outside the box. We are open to the unknown. So how curious that in order to feel at home, we need to explore away from home. This is part of the essence of liberal religion. So have a look at the banners hanging throughout the sanctuary. Look at them again as if for the first time. And I hope that some are visible on Zoom. Thank you, John. The banners have symbols from Taoism, Buddhism, Judaism, humanism, Christianity, paganism, and more. We are open to insight wherever we can find it. There is a banner with a question mark indicating that our search continues. And there is a blank banner, I believe. Yeah. So perhaps the blank banner honors our mystical traditions and the mysteries beyond understanding what we have yet to, to learn. So openness is fundamental to who we are. We are at home in openness. Openness is a psychological trait. So I wonder if anyone has done a psychological test that measures openness. Does anyone know? Okay, I did. Scored very high in openness. And I'm guessing that a lot of us would score high. Not all of us, we are a diverse group, but as a whole, I believe that we would score fairly high in openness. Openness has six facets, six ways of being open. One facet is intellectual curiosity. So like a tiny little kid, we ask why, why, why? If it's turtles all the way down, we want to see for ourselves. We're not afraid of a new idea and we're not afraid to have our ideas questioned. The truth can handle a discussion. It is okay to wrestle with God. A second facet of openness is a preference for variety. So let's go on an adventure. Let's see new sights. Let's step outside of our own culture and explore other ways of being. Let's walk a mile in someone else's shoes. A third facet of openness is an active imagination. So perhaps you imagine new stories, new recipes, new events, new anything. A vivid inner world. And then there is aesthetic sensitivity the appreciation of beauty. This is when you are open to being moved to experience awe as you take in sights or sounds. A fifth, a fifth facet of openness is challenging authority. This is when you don't accept the status quo. You are open to different ways of doing things. So are there any rabble rousers here today? Yes, there are a few, yeah. <laughs> and the sixth facet of openness is attentiveness to feelings. This is when you don't need to be in control of your inner state, you can handle the truth. So you tune in to how you are feeling. Uh, in this complicated world, you're open to experiencing mixed emotions about things. That's a sign of openness. 
and you can handle other people's feelings too. So that's openness, intellectual curiosity, preference for variety, active imagination, aesthetic sensitivity, challenging authority, and attentiveness to feelings. And these facets are highly correlated. So if you're a high in one area, there's a good chance that you're a high in other areas as well. And it's normal if some of the areas don't resonate for you. Openness is not polarized. The world is not split between people who are high in openness and people who are low in openness. Rather, openness is normally distributed with most people about average and it drops off from there on both sides with only a small number of people highly open and small number of people well below average in openness. And I'd like to, I'd like to consider people who are very low in openness. Some people simply do not have much intellectual curiosity. They don't have a sense of adventure. They don't imagine new things. Perhaps they focus on depth rather than breadth. Focus on simplicity rather than complexity. Focus on the known rather than the unknown. Now that attitude has a place. We can't have everyone trying out a hundred new recipes for baklava. We need someone, someone who knows a tried and true recipe for baklava. So even as some of us go off to explore it, we need someone to keep the home fires burning. As a liberal religion, we tend to be higher in openness than most people. Um, but as a liberal religion, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of all people. So all people matter, not just people who are high in openness. So let's be careful about trying to remake the world in our image when our image does not represent the fullness of humanity. People low in openness are people too. The alternative is to say that people high in openness are an elect and everyone else is deplorable. And that sounds too Calvinist for me. We need to somehow honor and include people who are low in openness people who keep the home fires burning, only comfortable with what they know. Sometimes some of us have had, had hard experiences growing up in families, perhaps that were low in openness. So I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying it have to do with everyone, but um, in general, I'll say insulting people who don't keep up will not create the world that we dream of. So consider what we do when we want to create change in the world. Sometimes our advocacy makes the assumption that our target audience is high in openness. We often say, here is a great new idea. We often say, question what your leaders are telling you. Now those strategies feel normal to me and those strategies work for me, but that's because I'm high in openness. So what about my neighbor who is low in openness? Think of what happened in um, Kansas this summer. There was a vote on abortion. Kansas is one of the most conservative states in the union. They had a vote to outlaw abortion. The question was, should we outlaw abortion? And the vote was overwhelmingly no. 
in Kansas. So how did the pro-choice side win? How did they frame the debate to get so many conservatives on board? They did not use the term pro-choice. So for a lot of people, the term pro-choice is a partisan term, an us versus them term. It gets up people's tribal hackles. Um, doesn't necessarily change minds. They didn't appeal to feelings. They did not say, imagine how an unwanted pregnancy feels. They didn't say you need to care about the mother. That would work for me, but it doesn't necessarily work for people low in openness. And they didn't say everything you've been taught in church is wrong. They didn't try to turn people against their trusted leaders. So here is why I think abortion is still allowed in Kansas. They named their campaign, Kansans for Constitutional Freedom. Not Kansans for abortion, not Kansans for human rights, not Kansans for caring about other people. They called their campaign Kansans for Constitutional Freedom. A lot of Kansans love constitutional freedom. So the campaign appealed to them by saying, you are at home with us. We support your worldview. In general, Kansans don't want the government involved in their business. So the campaign said, don't involve the government in your business. And Kansans ate it up. People high in openness ran a campaign aimed at people low in openness, and they won. So sometimes that can work. Sometimes that can work. But even with the win in Kansas, there are threats against the liberal outlook. There are threats that society will close down. There are politicians running on a platform of having a unified national identity, not a pluralistic identity. We can't always frame our campaigns in the way that appeals to their worldview, because sometimes their worldview is incompatible with our goals. So what to do in that situation? There's the long game of putting up our signs and say, here's what I believe. I think that can work in the long term. Um, one thing we can do in the shorter term, I believe, is to encourage more openness. Um, while openness is mostly determined by genetics, your level of openness can change. For example, how you are treated can change your level of openness. So, we can take a moment, I ask you to consider what makes you feel open? When in your life have your defenses come down? When, when do you just feel a big, broad smile being around other people? When are, you, when are you most available to consider another point of view? When can you make space for your feelings and other people's feelings? So let's just take a moment to think of a time when you're open particularly open. I think a common answer is, I open up when I feel safe and secure. Studies have been done on people who are economically safe 
and secure are more likely to vote for liberal policies. So when our economy is thriving, society is more open to immigration, for example. When our checkbook is balanced and our home life is stable, we have more bandwidth to try on a new idea or make space for a feeling. So sometimes changing someone else's outlook is, is an indirect process. First, make them feel safe so that they naturally open and then offer your point of view into their open and welcoming arms. I'll honor that some people will never change. That's true. In a way, a Unitarian Universalist congregation is like a colony of ants. Bear with me, bear with me. We go off in all directions, looking for new things. And then we come back together and say, hey, check out what I've found. Part of liberal religion is going off and exploring, being high in openness. And part of liberal religion is coming, coming and doing the dance that says, hey, I found something. Counting on everyone else to be high in openness. So we each go off and explore, and then we share what we found with each other. I share with you, you share with me. Sometimes I challenge you, sometimes you challenge me. I'll only be open and sharing with you if I feel safe and secure with you. And I'll only be open and receptive if I feel safe and secure with you. This is the dance of liberal religion. Feeling safe, secure, and open while also exploring with each other and challenging each other. Feeling at home and expanding our sense of home. So, so this week, I invite you to look at your interactions through the lens of openness. How open do I feel right now? How open does the other person seem? Maybe ask what might shift if you become curious about underlying needs that are or are not being met. In this church, we covenant that the spirit in me welcomes the spirit in you, and that is a fabulous level of openness. So notice how you're doing with that. Perhaps you can't help but be open. In a way, openness is a, at the heart of liberal religion. Today is our homecoming, celebrating your 35th year. I hope to see you here this afternoon. 35 years is long enough to put down roots and create community. And it's long enough to have had firsthand experience of the ongoing dynamics of liberal religion. So I hope uh, the next 35 years may be as challenging as learning and as opening.